Good morning. I'm Peter Inch along with Steve Gilbert. We are the co-hosts of the Inch by Inch, the home comfort show presented by Peter Inch and Associates Heating and Air Conditioning. We thank you for listening today. Hope you'll be able to listen every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 as we provide you, our listeners, with some information about your heating, air conditioning, and maybe a little bit about curling. But most important, we'd love to answer your questions, so please send them in to inchbyinch at peterinch.ca, and we'll answer them on the next Saturday show. How's Mr. Gilbert? I'm good, thank you. I was approached in the uh, variety store wanting to know if we were going to do a movie. A movie. So I take it that our... um, Commercial? commercial has hit the airwaves and they now they think it's so good that they want a movie done that's funny actually it's a very good commercial i mean uh, i'm sure when's it hitting it's hitting right now yep it uh, should be on the news uh with am 980 or sorry with uh, ctv right so. so then that's great so then you're going to see one of our technicians um craig and uh he that was his first film debut and he did quite well yeah, I think he's got a job in the movies business. <laughs> Possibly. And uh, we're up to 644 people following us on Facebook, so we want to thank them. And we should thank the people that came by the Old East Village last weekend. Yes, it was cold. And said hello, as well as the Vanier Cup. Um, we were down there with the speed bump curling. We might have called it at the Vanier Cup. At the Vanier? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Everybody uh, seemed to enjoy themselves. And street curling is done until January the 20th. Right. And then you'll be able to do it at the Knights game. Right. So they're going to do a little Briar London Knights uh, get-together there. So that will be uh, a lot of fun. And it will be. It will we'll be enjoy great. that. Uh, and, of course, our, our commercials now are running and wish, you know, with the, we're worried about the mice you know they're getting chilled oh yes your your yeah your commercial and your ringtone yes exactly yeah. yes so yeah. they've uh, you know i hope everybody's enjoying that we're just having a little fun and making sure that everybody gets a smile on their face because we probably could use it around here you know with inventory and year end and all of that going on and uh, the ticket sales are going great for the Briar, so they're a good stocking stuffer or, or give, you know, an opening weekend or closing weekend uh, for your parents to come and watch. So if you're not sure what to buy them for Christmas, Briar tickets are, are what you're... So you're saying nothing speaks louder than Briar tickets That's for correct. Christmas. Yeah, okay. and it's the last time that we'll be able to call it the Tim Hortons Briar. Oh, because they have uh, are not going to sponsor it after London, so that's London's, unfortunate. When when I host a lot of events, a lot of things happen. I don't know whether I should be worried, but the senior curling in two thousand and two never was shown on TV after it played in St. Thomas. You know, just I don't know. Maybe maybe it's time I retire. Maybe, may, but does that mean you're going to be more time here at the office? Yes. Yeah. Then no, no, it's not time to retire. Okay, you keep doing what you do. Yeah. And we should thank all of our customers for a great. Uh, our first year was just tremendous, and uh, you know everybody who bought our inch plans, we appreciate that very much, and we'll be visiting you every year, and uh, 
you know, all the people that came over from the old company to ourselves, we do appreciate that as well because they appreciate good old-fashioned service, and that's what we're giving. Right. Now, we do have a lot of questions uh, that came in, so I'll start with a couple of easy ones to warm you up because I know, it, you know, you're, it's a little tough for you to get going. It says, why are filters so expensive, and what does a MERV rating mean? Uh, so filters, I mean, uh, ex the expense of a filter depends on its capability to uh, take particles out of the air. So... The more efficient the filter, the more expensive it's going to be because it traps more, captures more. So, hence you'll find that when you see uh, MERV, which is a minimal efficiency, um, it's the it's the way they test the filter's ability to capture uh, allergens, particles, dust, dust mites, all that kind of stuff. So. What they're doing is th there was no way to rate them before, so they came up with a MERV rating in order to rate. So 0 to 16 is the typical MERV rating. And so your basic old-fashioned fiberglass filters were uh, MERV 1, and uh, we, we go all the way up to MERV 16 these days. So our, our most popular filters are in the MERV uh, 10, 11, and 12 range. So that's what we're recommending for people in their home. You can buy a one-inch filter, which is a MERV 10 or a MERV 11. You can buy a four-inch or a five-inch filter, which are MERV 11s, even and higher. But, I mean, if you if you are very susceptible to um, a lot of, if you're allergic to a lot of things in your home, uh, you could improve that MERV rating and, and put a better MERV filter in. Now, the cost is going to be greater. Also, with a higher MERV rating, you're going to replace it more often because it traps more stuff. So keep in mind, the higher the MERV rating you're probably going to have to change it more often because it's going to capture more as well. So there's lots of things with filters. Um, we just we when, when we come out and do a consultation for you in your home, we talk about those things specifically and make recommendations based on what we're talking to you about. And even the price of replacement filters are going up because, you know, they're transported. You know, the cost of labor is increasing. The cost of material to get the material to make the filters are increasing. So you have all these things going against you when you're trying to get a filter. Right. So they are uh, they are definitely going up. So another easy one for you here. Uh, do Wi-Fi thermostats save you money? Um, I mean, it's I don't think it's the Wi-Fi that is saving you money. It's it's what you're doing with your Wi-Fi password or your Wi-Fi thermostat. So. Um, all a Wi-Fi thermostat does is allow you to interact with the thermostat when you're not at home. So it really has no other um, advantage other than that. So you're, you have got maybe a, you're away on vacation. You can check to see what's going on in your house by just looking at the temperature in the thermostat. Um, so I don't, it's, I don't think they, they save you money per se unless you are uh, if you're away and, you're, and you forget to turn the furnace down, then you can adjust the temperature down while you're away and then bring it back on before you get home. That would save you some money, but the Wi-Fi portion of the thermostat itself doesn't save you anything. And then another question, it came in kind of the same thing. All new thermostats seem to be Wi-Fi and programmable. Why can't I get an old-fashioned thermostat? 
So um, old-fashioned thermostat to me means it's got mercury in it, and we just don't do that anymore. Um, it's the sliding bar, so they are uh, not um, environmentally friendly, um, especially if you dispose of them. They have to be disposed of correctly. But most, it's all about production. So most, most thermostat manufacturers, they'll, they'll make a base thermostat, and uh, in there, there'll be options, Wi-Fi being one of them, programmable being one of them, and you can either turn those features on or turn them off. So just because it has Wi-Fi built into it, you don't have to use that feature. The installer can just simply turn that feature off, and then if you ever wanted to use it, you could turn it back on again. So it's just manufacturing, just trying to produce, you know, streamline their production, make less thermostats, but have different capabilities built within them that they can either turn that feature on or off. And you you mentioned earlier about MERV. Yes. Um, and there's a question that said, what is MERV on a filter? You kind of went over that, but it also said, why don't all filters show their ratings? Uh, well, if so if a filter doesn't have a rating on it, if it doesn't have a MERV rating on it, then it hasn't gone through uh, ASHRAE testing. So um, that's just, so they're just, what they've done is they're self-proclaiming their own test. So they're just saying that they're, you know, they'll just say that this is a great filter. If they don't have a MERV rating, you know, as I say, they're just, it's an in-house test that they're doing on that filter. It's not ASHRAE approved. So. If you want to make sure that your filter is uh, doing what ASHRAE says it's supposed to do, it'll have a MERV rating on it. Okay. You're listening to the Inch by Inch, the home comfort show presented by Peter Inch and Associates Heating and Air Conditioning. When we're not on the radio, you can reach us at 226-499-3752 or always online at peterinch.ca and we will be right back welcome back to the inch by inch the home comfort show presented by peter inch and associates heating and air conditioning so so why you know why i just i, just, I need to interject just for a second you do. okay i was it throwing around, cut me off there i was throwing around, around a lot of acronyms and i just want to just tell people so merv is minimal efficiency reporting value so that's the that's what MERV stands for, so all filters that are to be rated have that rating, Minimal Efficiency Reporting Value. And ASHRAE, which is the governing body, is the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. So it's, it's, a, it's a governing body to ensure that um, everybody's playing on the same level. So a manufacturer doesn't say that my filter is better than your filter just by doing some in-house testing. Okay. So they could cheat. Well, it's not. It's, it's and by not putting a MERV rating on, they're just. They can say they got the best filter in the world, but they have not sent it for third-party testing. That's correct. Yes, and ASHRAE is third-party testing. So I could say I'm the best curler in the world, but we all know that's not true. And, well, we haven't gone through any third-party. Oh no, there's there's a lot of third-party <laughs> testing that we could verify that. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably the guys on Tuesday night. Oh, did I tell you I won on Tuesday night, Steve? That's nice. That, that yes. was. Um, we're, Congratulations. Um, we did not, however. Okay. I am 2 and 0 skipping. Are just, you? just to let you know, 2 and 0. Okay. That's this good. Year. I'm happy for you. Yeah. We, we, my, Terry, Terry bowed out of feigning sickness on Tuesday and left me in charge of uh, Mr. McDonald. 
So that's two weeks in a row he's bowed out on you. Yeah, but I'm one and one. I, I lost to Mr. McDonald on Tuesday, but yes. Anyway. Well, at least we sponsor him. So did he have his jacket on? Uh, he had his jacket on, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you think you'd take it easier on your sponsor. And, no. and he did on a couple of ends. But, yeah, I didn't really have much to shoot at most of the time. The, and I should mention at the Briar, we're at the final push for our sponsor or for our volunteers. So if you'd like to volunteer at the Briar, get to work beside me. You know, that's, that's special in itself. So you can go to www.curling.ca backsplash, backsplash, no, backslash 2023 Briar backslash volunteers. And uh, you can sign up there. Lots of opportunities. Um, the patch where the original 16 patch where they everybody goes after the game and we have uh, entertainment and bands and a whole bunch of things playing. That's where I end up after the game. So go over there for lunch and then uh, listen to a little of the interviews and um autograph sessions and things like that and then head back for the uh, evening game and then come back after that so if you want to volunteer you'll i will tell you you'll have a excuse me you'll have a great time a great time a great time guaranteed all right um question that came in says is it true that a poor installation can affect the performance of the new furnace and air conditioner so, I mean, the, the, we state uh, the most important day of your furnace's life is the day it's installed. So, I mean, that's, um, that's critical for it. So, you can take the best furnace in the world and take shortcuts in putting it in and using inferior uh, materials, uh, and you'll have nothing but problems with that furnace. If you even... So, it's all about installation. So, if you... If you take your furnace and install it as per the manufacturer's requirements and use proper materials and proper install um, procedures, that furnace should give you a good life. Um, but And that goes with air conditioning or any product that we install. So, I mean, we spend um, a lot of time training our guys on good install practices. And not only does it have to look good aesthetically, but it also has to be installed properly. So, um, because we don't want any callbacks, and a callback is when you install a product and you have to you have to send a service tech out later that night or the next day because something's gone wrong and the furnace is shut off. So we call that callbacks. Callbacks kill you. Um, so we're trying to have a zero callback policy here at Peter Engine Associates. Now this is a uh, another question from someone, but it kind of ties it together. I'm getting quotes. Or sorry, the wrong one. You've uh, lost your spot. I'm getting quotes to replace my furnace. The company I had in stated I wouldn't need to change the current vents from the black pipe to the white pipe. I wasn't comfortable with that as it will require taking down my current ceiling, according to the contractor. Is this true? And why would it need to be changed? So, I mean, um, it all has to do with the new gas code. So um, there's, a, there's a gas code that states that we can't use existing ABS uh, piping as venting material. Um, 
So it's important that things get brought up to code. So there is only one uh, type of venting which is approved for combustion furnaces or water heaters, and that's 636. And uh, it's easy to tell because it's a white PVC, and you'll see that all the joints will have a gray compound around them. You'll know that, that they're sealed. Um, there is white PVC that's called Scheduled 40, which has been in use for a long time, but we, it's not approved anymore. So even if you've got white Scheduled 40 going across your ceiling, we have to change it to the new 636 vent system. Now, some contractors will cheat. Some contractors will leave the black ABS in for the air intake side of the furnace and then just install a new white pipe uh, outside for the exhaust. So uh, can you do that? Sure, you're gonna save yourself a little bit of money and material, but it's, it's really not much. Um, and then you'll have a black and white vent instead of two whites. So, I mean, there's lots of shortcuts that you can use. Some people don't even put a secondary combustion pipe outside for a furnace. So those are just some things that we go over with a customer uh, to explain all that during our install process and just what we have to do to bring things to code. So again, when we talk about poor installation, this is a, a contractor trying to cut corners um, instead of doing what's correct. And, and I mean, I understand we have to open up a ceiling, but yes. unfortunately, that's what we have to do. So if, for instance, if, you, um, if, if one of our technicians went out to see a furnace after the fact and we came across a contractor who had left uh, black ABS venting in place on a new furnace, they're going to give you a tag. Uh, they're going to give you a 42-day tag, a B tag, and you're going to have to get it repaired or their gas company will come and shut the gas off. Now, there is one provision, I will state, that in those, there are some places where they've got uh, high-rise condos and they've got gas water heaters and they've got a gas water heater which is vented above a finished ceiling which goes outside and it's black ABS. So TSSA says if you can pressure test that vent and ensure that it's not leaking, you can use it. But that's all done through TSSA and a pressure test. And quite frankly, I don't know how you pressure test that pipe because you got to cap the outside in order to pressure test it. And I don't know how you can get outside to pressure test it because, you know, when you're when you're 40 feet in the air, how are you going over there to, to plug that vent in order to pressure test? Yeah. Now this next one is, uh, and we may have to, to go, you know, a little bit before the, the break and a little bit after the break, but it says, I would suggested that my new AC be placed on the ground instead of wall brackets. I like brackets, which is better. And I'd say our company policy is to put it on the ground. Um, and you can explain why, but it can go on brackets. Yep. That's, so nowadays, you know, the, 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 the home builder is building houses pretty close together, so there's a limited amount of space. So I understand when homeowners want it up off the ground. The only, there is fear that the, the bracket will eventually pull free. I mean, it, it does vibrate. There is vibration through an air conditioner. Um, but, you know, that could take, that'll take a long time to happen. Uh, we prefer them on the ground. It's just a firm base. Uh, the air conditioner is never going to go anywhere. Um, we put a good base of P-stone down and then put the stone. But also keep in mind that home builders put them on brackets because 
that ground around that new home is going to be uh, settling for the next three or four years. So they don't want to send a contractor back every year to adjust that air conditioner to level it out again. So hence the wall bracket idea was a very simple thing. So keep in mind we're going into the heat pump world now and where heat pumps have to be off the ground. But we can talk about that later. Well, we'll talk about that right after the break. But you're listening to the Inch by Inch, the Home Comfort Show, presented by Peter Inch and Associates Heating and Air Conditioning. When we're not on the radio, you can reach us at 226-499-3752 or always online at peterinch.ca, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Inch by Inch, the Home Comfort Show, presented by Peter Inch and Associates Heating and Air Conditioning. So just before the break, we are talking about putting a unit on the ground or on brackets, but then you started to talk about heat pumps, and heat pumps are a little different. Right. So a heat pump is meant, like it's not, it's designed not to be on the ground. It has to be up off the ground in order for it to defrost properly. So keeping that in mind, um, you know, we are, you are seeing uh, more, condensing units off up the ground so that can be done on a wall bracket it can be done uh, with a base stone and stand so um, typically we use either method uh, we prefer probably the stand because it's on a firm base again uh, but you know we can use wall brackets but just keep in mind of the of the possibility of vibration so uh, and that's it's very important because you don't want to have a new product installed and all of a sudden you've got this vibration through the wall. So um, there are ways to minimize that, but it sometimes means repeat calls trying to figure out that problem. And we had a, a question came in. It says, Here I'm, I'm hearing a lot about heat pumps becoming popular again. Heat pumps went by the wayside in the 1980s, which I don't think is true, and and didn't work here. Is that correct? Well, that's really kind of an unfair statement. Like heat pumps uh, do work here. Even the older technology heat pumps back in the 80s did work. Uh, hydro rates were much less than they are today. And um, it was popular in the, in the day to help offset some heating costs by, by running an electric heat pump. So older technology 30 years ago just meant that, you know, we, we couldn't really effectively run that heat pump past minus 8 degrees celsius outside so our winter was cold and there's a lot of time when you know your other your, your backup heat or your furnace would be taking over for that so keep that in mind that fast forward 30 years uh, when we're talking about decarbonization burning less carbon fuels uh, mm -hmm. electric heat pumps are making sense now and they've improved that model so we now, with what we call cold climate heat pumps, we're able to run those units down to minus 15, minus 20. In some cases, like some other products like Mitsubishi, you can get down to minus 25, minus 30. So that technology has greatly improved, and so is the electrical efficiency of that product. So keep in mind that um, heat pumps did work 30 years ago. They've just made things a whole lot better today, and uh, you're going to see a lot more of them because... It's all about reducing carbon, and if we can reduce our home heating costs, which is one of the greatest um, one of the greatest carbon users we have in Canada, then that will certainly go a long way to help us reduce our carbon footprint. And somewhere down the road, there won't be central airs anymore; it will be heat pumps only. Well, that's that's the that that can always happen. So, 
as the government of Canada, um, you know, they did, they did that with furnaces. We used to be able to put a mid-efficiency, an 80% furnace in, but we can't. They, they went by the wayside many years ago because they just updated efficiencies. Same thing can happen with air conditioning. You know, the government can just mandate and just say, uh, we don't want um, we don't want you HVAC installers to install central airs. We, if you're going to be putting condensing units in, we want them to be heat pumps. So that can change very quickly. Now we got a question in, and, and it's uh, I'll read it, but not all insurance companies do this, but there is some. My insurance company is questioning my water heater age. It is just 10 years old. These tanks should last. A, a lot longer than 10 years shouldn't they well define a lot longer so i mean things all all things have changed you look at the new refrigerator of today and you're pretty disappointed when it's not it's not making 10 years even so keep that in mind a water heater is a is a pretty spectacular device in in that it's a it's a tank which holds a lot of water and what people don't understand is water is very aggressive. So uh, water, even even at even the water that we get out of the out of the Great Lakes, which is only seven grains of hardness, is still very aggressive. So what I mean by that is, in every water heater, there's a thing called an anode rod, and and if that anode rod wasn't in that tank, that tank probably would only last a couple of years before it would just just eat itself out from the inside and and let go. So Keep in mind that um, although technology has gotten better, uh, we still used, they still manufacture with glass lined internal tanks and there's anode rods, but water's still aggressive. That, that hasn't changed. So um, tanks just don't last as long as they used to. Maybe that's because the tank that they're using isn't as thick as it used to be, but for whatever reason, they're not making 20 years. They're probably making in the 10 to 15 year range. So insurance companies now just don't want uh, want a tank which is over 12 years in your home, which is a potential um, threat to, um, to leaking because you're never home when it goes. So if the water heater's leaking, it can leak for a long time. There's a lot of water that comes out of that tank. So, and with people doing all these renovations in their basements and moving downstairs, and their basements are very nice and well-finished, insurance companies just don't want to pay those claims anymore. So um, they may ask you your age of your water heater. And if it's, if it's over a certain age, they'll just say, fine, yeah, we're going to insure your home, but we're not insuring the basement if in case that tank goes. And that, that'll just be an exclusion on your... And, but just keep that in mind. It's kind of like what they did with oil tanks. Yep. You know, where they had to be double-walled or a second containment area and different things like that. Yeah, and, and with oil tanks, they got to the point where the homeowner just wasn't doing anything, so then they put the onus on the fuel provider. They said, fine, you're the one who's on the hook now if something goes wrong with that tank in that customer's home. You'll be the one paying for any anything that goes wrong. So they just changed who they went after, and that also and that certainly made a lot of changes because the fuel provider was making sure that that tank was okay to put oil into. So, and again, it's not all insurance companies, but we're seeing it is becoming more and more common yes. with insurance companies. Um, another question that's come in is, what's the best time of year to get a maintenance done on my furnace and air conditioner? 
Well, I, I'm hoping you've you've if not if, if it's not done already that you at least have it scheduled. I mean, I have them. My thought on this is just get it done once a year, whenever wherever that is, whether your annual inspection is January, February, March, doesn't matter. I do mine in August, but um, I'm, I'm once get the guys come and look at my furnace for August, I know I'm good for the year. So anything that they would have seen in August, they would have seen in November or January or whenever you get it done. Just get it done on an annual basis and you'll be good to go. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, right now is a little chilly to do the air conditioner, but... Yeah. Uh, get the furnace done book that air conditioner for march well, the good thing the good thing is is that you know as more and more heat pumps come on the marketplace uh, we'll be able to do those tune-ups any time of year because it's it's running so a heat pump is actually working right now uh, to heat your home so there will be we, we won't be pigeonholed into doing uh, maintenances in certain times of year we'll be able to do those heat pumps and and furnace systems any time of year well, this is a good job that came in. Uh, said, I called into your office on Tuesday for service. We had no hot water. My husband had had surgery last week and cannot be without it. They dispatched the technician right away. Rob went out. Uh, he fixed it. He said that our sensor was damaged and went on to ask about cleaning products or painting around the furnace and water heater area. I, over the past weekend, sprayed some aerosol paint on Christmas wreaths. Oops. He said that would have been the problem to make the sensor fail. So every water heater manufactured today, uh, these are tank water heaters, have what we call flammable vapor sensor on them. So it's just a little device. It's a little sniffer. And what it does is if it detects any flammable material whether it's fuel paint thinners aerosols um, it's going to say that it's not in a very good environment and if i were to turn on either could i could ignite something so that sensor is what it does is it just it stops the water heater from turning on and because you know we can find out anything we can do on youtube these days they made that sensor non-resettable, so homeowners couldn't go on YouTube and reset that sensor. So it is a non-resettable sensor designed to keep that water heater off when it's in a dangerous environment. So you're listening to the uh, Inch by Inch, the home show, for, uh, presented by Peter Inch and Associates, and we will be right back after these short messages. Welcome back to the Inch by Inch, the Home Comfort Show, presented by Peter Inch and Associates Heating and Air Conditioning. Um, before the break, we were talking... Um, what were we talking about, Steve? <laughs> we were talking about a lot of things. We've been talking about heat pumps. We were talking about... Uh, oh, the vapor flame sensor. Yep, flammable vapor sensor. Yep. Yeah, so... Um, any time that you're you know you're working on that or doing anything in the basement laying carpet or putting tile down with anything that's going to give off gassing you need to be concerned about that and it's not covered under warranty so no. even if it's less than a year old that vapor flame sensor is not covered under warranty right and, and, so, and so people you know you, you you can if you knew that you were going to paint the basement you could call us out. We could come out and um, 
bag that sensor so that it won't trip until you paint and then clear and then come back and, and unbag it. So there are ways to protect it, uh, but you're still going to have to pay a service call for us to come out and do that. It's not something, you know, that we do for free. Now, this is one I think we're going to get a lot more. Of. It's just this, what I call the start of this question. I have a newer humidifier. I haven't seen much difference in the humidity in my home since it was installed. I can't get it higher than 33%. With the colder weather coming, I'm afraid it will be dry in here again. What can I do to increase the humidity in my home? So a couple things. Um, so keep in mind that these bypass humidifiers, I mean, um, the, the, the new thermostat of today is kind of made life a little bit more difficult for contractors because they can see humidity levels where they never could see them before but that's not necessarily a bad thing but keep in mind that if you can keep your house in the 30 to 40 percent all winter long you've done quite an accomplishment because our winters get quite dry so keep that in mind 30 to 40 percent 33 is good if you could keep your house 33 all winter long I'm saying that's probably a win for you but I understand your concerns so that 33%, um, if you're not seeing any differences, uh, keep in mind that we're in a transition period, so the weather's just starting to turn, turn cold. And so humidity levels are kind of all over the place these days. But if you're finding that your humidifier is not doing what it, it can, and it's a bypass unit, I would probably suggest you go downstairs and just look to see, is it attached to the cold water line or attached to the hot water line? Um, you may not think that's a big difference, but if your furnace is trying to create enough heat to evaporate water in the winter, and our groundwater temperature in London and surrounding area is 40 degrees Fahrenheit, so keep that in mind. You've got you've to get that water from 40 up to where it can evaporate it. So you've got to move that temperature quite high. So keep that in mind that when we put bypass humidifiers in, we tend to connect them to the hot water side of things because now we're going to take 120 degree water and evaporate it much more efficiently and effectively. Will it increase your hot water use on your hot water tank? Yeah, a little bit, but it's, it's better than you trying to evaporate 40 degree water. Keep in mind if you've got a tankless hot water heater, you're in a, we, those, there won't be enough water being turned on in order to fire your tank. So if you've got a tankless, you're not going to be able to do this. So if you don't have a tankless, what other ways are there? Well, if, if humidity is critical to you, then I'm going to suggest steam. So steam generation has been around for years. It, it really, it sucked early. It's much, much better now. So we use, um, they, they use a different type of system where they flash boil in a canister and project steam. Um, they're much more reliable. Uh, the, the canisters are simply replaced uh, once once they once their useful life has ended which sometimes a year sometimes less just depends on your water um, we we can put steam in now a steam humidifier is not inexpensive it is a very expensive unit and keep that in mind but if you need critical humidity in your home steam generation is really the only way to go huh. <sighs> <laughs> but you're right if you you know 33 percent is not a bad humidity level if you can keep it yeah yep. now this one came in when i'm in my living room it's noisy a loud whistling and always have to turn the tv up 
Well, I, I do that. Do you? Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's from the loud whistling or just my hearing's getting worse. Okay. Um, so he's got to turn the TV up when the furnace comes on. I checked the filter to see if it was clogged. It's fine. We added an additional heat runs to a back bedroom recently. What could be causing this? So, I mean, there's different things. It's typically, if you're hearing whistling on your furnace, um, it's coming from the return air side of things. So the air going back to the furnace. And if you're whistling, I mean, the filter is the first, first one we think of, but whistling just means that the furnace is looking for air. So maybe you don't have enough return air built into your system. So there's not enough return air. Your, your furnace is trying to pull it from every little crack on the return air side of thing around the filter box, wherever it can, and it's going to whistle. That's just air makes noise when, it's whist- when it goes by fast. So And, and it could be a tube. Um, we were talking about MERV rating. Yep. A tube, uh, a higher number MERV rating filter that doesn't allow the air to go through. Right. And also keep in mind that when you pull that filter out, just because it looks okay, it may not be. I mean, a lot of technicians have been fooled with drywall dust because drywall dust looks white. So when you pull the filter out, it it looks clean, but it's not because it's got drywall dust on it and and you just can't pull anything through drywall dust. But keep that in mind. Whistling means uh, it's usually on the return air side and the furnace is looking for air. So you may need more return air. Sometimes whistling can be something as simple as a return air grill. So I've had a customer where he said this, it whistles all the time when the furnace starts and we went through the house and it had enough return air, but it would always happen in this one area. So I said to the customer, it's, it's your return air grill. He said, well, no, it's not. I said, yeah, it is. So I took the grill off, no whistle, put the grill back on, it whistled. And so then I said, now just put your hand on that grill. As soon as he touched the grill, the whistling stopped because it was vibrating. It was just the air going past that grill were such that it was just causing it to, to make some harmonics and whistle. So what we ended up doing is we, we, we adjusted the fins on it. To, we opened them up a little bit more so that it wouldn't whistle, and it's never been a problem since. So it's a whistling grill? A whistling grill. And that, it, it, it can just happen. You'll just hear, it's more like a hum instead of a whistle, like a tuning fork. Yeah. You know that that's, you just have to locate where it's coming from. And just, if you're hearing that and it, you think it's coming from the return air register, just touch it and it probably stops. The other one, and, and we only have got about a minute for this one, but it said our neighbor's furnace was tagged and they have no heat by a local uh, HVAC uh, company. Can this be reversed with a second opinion? So, I mean, most times um, you're, you're going to be disappointed with, with what we find. But first thing, you know, if, if we came out and looked at it, first thing we're going to do is shove a, do a test on the exhaust. That tells us right away. So if we're getting a high CO count on the exhaust, they're just going to go, yes, your furnace should be tagged. Um, if, if there's not a high CO on the exhaust, then yeah, the technician could go in and, and try to look at the heat exchanger and it can be reversed. Um, but keep in mind that uh, probably eight times out of 10 or nine times out of 10, it's, you know, the technician that tagged it was probably correct. Yeah, yeah and, and he has to do that for his license where yes. he can lose his license if he yes. walked away from a dangerous situation. Yeah. So. 
Well, we want to thank everybody for listening this morning. When we're not on the radio, you can reach us at 226-499-3752 or always online at peterinch.ca. To listen to this show or any of our shows, you can go to peterinch.ca and hit our podcast button at the top of our homepage. As we say at the shop, life is hard, buy the yard, buy from inch, life's a cinch. We'll see you next week.